This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 958, A Conversation with Ruben Bowling. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 958. It's our conversation with Ruben Bowling. He is the artist behind uh, the well-known uh, cartoon strip, Tom the Dancing Bug. Um, so we get really into how he you know, kind of got into uh, being a cartoonist, uh, what it's like creating Tom, Tom the Dancing Bug, his current uh, collaboration uh, in getting all of these books kind of reprinted uh, with Clover Press. Uh, so we go really deep into the conversations here. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, this was an interesting kind of, there's a lot of interesting concepts here that come up in terms of uh, you know, his process, what it's like to create a strip on a, you know, a weekly basis, uh, what it's like to see your work reprinted over time. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things in here just from a process perspective uh so i really enjoyed sitting down with ruben and i think you're really going to enjoy this episode uh as always you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com rate the show on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher thanks again for listening and let's come right into the conversation with ruben enjoy Ruben, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. I mean, it's not every day I get to talk to someone who's been a, a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize, although I did like the uh, the ad copy for um, one of one of your books mentions it. I think that you're uh, an award loser, I think it, it's, it states. Yes. Is that correct? I've, that's correct. I'm an award winner and an award, an, an award loser. I lost. I was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize twice in 2019 and 21 uh so um always a bridesmaid although in 21 there was no bride it was they gave no award out uh to editorial cartooning they just named three finalists and no winner really oh that's that's kind of unfortunate isn't it i mean like (laughs) you're so close I came close, and then no one got it. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. Okay, well let's let's let this is we'll we'll come back to that part of the story. I like to kind of go to the beginnings and kind of understand, um, you know, what were your beginnings? I mean, obviously in cartooning, a lot of people take a lot of interesting paths to get there. And so before you eventually kind of are with the syndicate, what's what's your origin story? Like how do how do you get into this game? Well, I came to it late and yeah through a weird route i just uh i didn't really think i could be a cartoonist i didn't think i would be a good enough artist or writer uh and there was an ad in our uh in a school newspaper for a cartoonist and so you know i thought well you know i'll just give it a shot um they're at they need one so i'll you know I'll i'll see if i can help them out throw my hat in the ring uh and, you know, this was after being rejected a lot of times by school newspapers and such. Um, but for some reason, trying it that time, um, I felt different. I just, I, I basically sat down and drew the first Tom the Dancing Bug. It was um, exactly what I do now. And my previous attempts had always been very derivative. I was trying to be Peanuts or Doonesbury. Mm. Um, and this was the first time I just sort of instantly found my voice. Uh, and so it was accepted. And uh, so 
Uh, yeah, I started, I, I did that through school. And then after graduation, I uh, sent out, I tried to get syndicated um, with a daily comic strip. That wasn't working out. Uh, I kept getting rejected for that. Uh, you know, sort of a daily comic strip, like, uh, you know, like that would fit in between Peanuts and Doonesbury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, you know, the thing I did in school that was not like that, that was like a large format and like more like sketch comedy with a whole different sense of humor. Uh, maybe I should go back to that. And I submitted that to a weekly paper in New York and was instantly accepted. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, really exciting. And I because that's where Tom the Dancing Bug started. I just began doing this very strange, only a, a weekly alternative paper which is sort of in the same format as the school paper that i had done it originally for could you know have this like big sort of weird rectangle with nine panels or six panels you you know it changes every time different characters uh i don't know if i said you know sort of a sketch comedy approach to uh to cartooning uh and you know only that kind of newspaper would would ever accept this kind of thing so i began you know sending it out to other alternative papers and they began accepting it um, and it was slow, but eventually I got in, you know, a lot of papers, and uh, that's when the syndicate approached me. At the time, it was called um, Universal Press Syndicate, and you know, ironically, they syndicated um, Doonesbury and still syndicate Doonesbury. Uh, you know, they're the big one, Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield, mm-hmm. and they approached me and said, uh, "We'd like to distribute your comic strip." Uh, so that took the pressure off me. You know, doing the sales and distribution, um, and I could just be the uh, the cartoonist. Uh, so that was in '97 that they that they took it on, um, and so yeah, I've been just doing it every ding dong week for. Uh, <laughs> it is now uh, hard to believe for me uh, over 31 years. Wow. Now, when, yeah. when you signed that first uh, contract with with Universal, what was what was the original term of it? Like, I recently talked with Lynn Johnston. We talked about you know when she sold for better or for worse, and I think it was a twenty year contract that she kind of started with. So, I'm curious what your original contract was for. Yeah, that was uh, that was the old school contract, and by '97, things hadn't changed fully, but they were starting to change. Um, and I was coming in to them with not just like uh, just someone with with uh, with an idea that they were going to develop and then sell. I was coming to them with a client list that included, you know, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the, the Newark Star-Ledger, the Washington Post. Um, you know, I, I had built it up myself to that level. Uh, so we really uh, sort of scaled back. Uh, it was like a five year or something. Um, and, you know, the terms were much, they were not as onerous as these old school uh, syndication contracts were just horrible. Um, you know, the syndicate would own the copyright and I wouldn't, you know, I, I didn't have to do that. Uh, they really just were acting as my, um, as my salesman, a distributor and, and to newspapers and, and got paid for that. And so I got a really very, very different deal uh, than, you know, the standard, old time syndication deal that would that had been going on you know basically early 90s and earlier mm-hmm. and was, was still going on for people in different circumstances i guess 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, people would have been at certain stages in those those contracts because again, they were so long. Like that was the biggest takeaway when I talked to Lynn was I was I, I didn't realize it was like a twenty year contract. That seems crazy, especially for like a brand new strip. That but it makes sense because you know there's something about consistency when you're you know reading the newspaper. You want to have something that's always going to be there. Right. So they wanted to be able to sell it, and then you know the the person who does it doesn't mean that they have to draw the comic for 20 years they can decide to stop mm-hmm. but the syndicate owns owns it and can hire someone else and then pay you um you know I, you know it depends on the contract you know some some amount uh for you know over that 20 year period uh but yeah this it was a there's the terms of those contracts were just were just insane and a lot of cartoonists would just be so excited to get the contract um, I don't want to say who because this is uh, this is off. The, I, I was told off the record, but you know, there's a very famous cartoonist who was just sent the syndicate's contract and just signed it without negotiating it or seeing a lawyer, um, and you know, got just awful terms. Mm. It makes sense though, right? Because they were the gatekeepers. Like, if there's only a few yeah. gate, you know, gates that you can get through, that uh, it's not like you know, in modern times, it's it, you know, it's almost there's too much content. Sometimes it's more. You know, finding a way to your consumer, whereas at the time it was there's only a few different ways in, so you have to kind of take what you can get. I can understand how you know you'd be so happy to be able to get in that you unfortunately end up taking a less than favorable deal. That's it. They they had all the power, and so you could negotiate on the edges. And there were certain people who knew what they'd give in on and what they wouldn't. Uh, but you know, for me, they they weren't the only way. I was doing pretty well uh, on my own. Um, uh, you know, I'd gotten you know over a hundred newspapers, alternative papers, daily papers. So this was not like I wasn't acting out of desperation. Uh, this was you know an, the offer to be uh, to be a partner in something that I already was working on. So it was a little different. So yeah, I was I was lucky for that. And they've been great. They are a, a fantastic outfit. They are. Uh, so honorable and and honest and so um, artist uh, friendly um, even with those contracts you know a lot of people renegotiated them uh, and they were very um, open to that um, they, they really the Andrews McMeal which is uh, no, I'm sorry Universal Press who I signed with which is now called Andrews McMeal are there I have found them to be just fantastic uh, partners for artists now, a question going back even even further, actually, when you were younger, what were the comic strips that you were kind of reading that made an impact on you? I mean, obviously, deciding to kind of be a cartoonist, there has to be a genesis there or something that really was impactful. I'm guessing, obviously, Doonesbury would be one of them. You've name dropped it a few times. But was there, what were the other ones that were kind of, uh, you know, impactful in terms of how you viewed, you know, the cartoonist, uh, you know, craft? I I just loved everything. I wanted every kind of comic. I I really uh, uh, anything that was a comic book or ink or a comics page. I just loved. So I my peanuts was was my main thing. I just was uh, uh, head over heels and just infatuated with that. But you know, but also by the same token, and just as much, I'm, I should say, Mad Magazine. Um, which uh, was probably the biggest influence on, on what I do now mm. um, than anything else that I was reading when I was a kid. But, you know, Marvel, Spider-Man, um, to a lesser extent, DC, uh, you know, and comic, any, any comic strip. I mean, I when I look back and I see that, I remember that I had, the, you know, they, they would sell these like little paperback books um, in drugstores that were compilations of uh, newspaper comic strips. Mm-hmm. And I had like 
handicap books. <laughs> like, why would a kid want a comic about a an alcoholic guy who who beats his wife? Uh, you know, but I was like, oh, this it's a comic. I like it. Uh, Fred Bassett. Um, yeah, it just everything. I just loved comics, and and I would make my own comics. Uh, I drew them. I drew super <laughs> funny comics. I had my own line of superhero comics that that rivaled Marvel. Um, <laughs> almost superhero for superhero. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I just I loved it, and then you know, and then I, I as I grew up, I just I I um, I think I lost my confidence in my ability to do it, and that's why it took me a while to sort of try it again and come back to it. Hmm. When when you were, you kind of mentioned in the beginning, but like when you were kind of first trying to kind of develop. Uh, before you figured out what your voice was and what your style was, you were trying to kind of yeah. doing other things that weren't really you know what your voice ended up becoming. Why was what was the reason for kind of for doing that? Was it just because you wanted to emulate the, what the things that you saw or what you thought people wanted, or why did it take? Why did it feel like it took so long to find your voice? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's very common, and and the the problem that I really had was that I wasn't doing it enough. What I tell people. I tell young people when they ask for advice about cartooning, you know, sort of general advice is that you got to do it a lot because um, your first comics are not going to be good. They're going to be derivative. They're going to be what what you like um, and who you admire, and you're going to copy them, and that's great. But that's not going to make a good comic. You have to find your own voice, and the way to do that is to keep on trying and keep on being derivative. And this one won't be good, and that won't be good. But get them out of the way. Um, and I was really lucky that uh, that ad for the comic strip came out in that newspaper, and that I I I found my voice like too sweet. Like it it <laughs> happened. It happened as I sat down. I just became a different cartoonist, uh, and it's a mystery of the ages. It's one of the for, for me. It's the biggest one of the biggest mysteries in my life was how. I did that. I mean, I was getting influenced by more alternative comics, and I, maybe I was thinking that maybe I should experiment with that. A big influence was um, I had gotten a book called um, by by Bill Griffith, uh, Zippy the Pinhead, and it was called "Are We Having Are You Are We Having Fun Yet?" Um, and it was so audacious and full of ideas and and weird humor. Um, and so maybe I, you know, sort of found a, a different route uh, through through um, through reading um, and finding other comics. Uh, but yeah, it it was one of the greatest moments of my life. I sat down and uh, suddenly I was a uh, I, I was doing it. I was actually uh, drawing a comic that had my that was unique to me. That was about my sense of humor, who I was. When you, I mean, so one of the things that we're going to talk about, obviously, is that you have a line of books that are coming out that are kind of reprinting, the, you know, the complete kind of run of Tom the Dancing Bug from, you know, chronologically speaking. So when you start to see, you know, these books coming out and you're kind of revisiting your older work, what kind of impresses you at how you've evolved the strip and how your, your talent has evolved? Like, how do you, you know, how do you reconcile yourself with that? Are you even able to look at it? Is it hard to even look at the old stuff or is it still interesting to you? And, and what are your biggest takeaways? I, yeah, I well, the biggest thing that changed in my comic strip from 1990 to now is that it's become a lot more political. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started, it was really apolitical. Um, every now and then, I would do something, and it really wouldn't be political. It would be about uh, you know a larger issue about like um, like the environment. So it wasn't really, I'd say, it wasn't political or topical. It was just um, you know about real issues. But I did a lot of like 
weird humor, social humor, um, like I say, sketch comedy, strange characters. Charlie, who was in Australia, pit the scene, which is a sort of an ape man. Um, you know, a, a Harvey Richards, lawyer for children, which was like <laughs> a like a, a sketch comedy thing. And so I would just like try to think of different jokes, and so that was really different. And that, and it wasn't until like two thousand one. Uh, after 9-11 that there's, I really sort of made a conscious choice to become more political because that's what I was thinking about more as I also as I imagine as I grew up uh, and then after um, after when Trump Trump ascended I made a very conscious decision um, this is really important uh, this is like the political you know as he was starting to do well in the primaries I was like this is the political phenomenon of my lifetime I, until he loses you know the election in 2016 I'm doing every week about this about this phenomenon mm-hmm. um, and then he didn't lose <laughs> I had to keep on I had to keep on doing it uh, so that the biggest change is sort of um, the style of humor you know I sort of got into polit- political humor because it was a way to be interesting and funny um Whereas, you know, before I was finding other ways to be interesting and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's the most glaring thing. I think, I think a big thing is that I'm really proud of a lot of the stuff I did, even from the get-go, starting in 1990. I think I, I'm so proud of it. But I think the, the big thing that I learned was how not to have a huge swing and a miss. Um, there are some, you know, there are some really good ones and there are some... Wow, that one's hard to read uh, from the in, in, in the very early ones, and so now at this stage, you know, for better or worse, I'm much more professional. I don't always have this a great, unbelievable idea for a comic, but I know now how to massage um, something so that it's not embarrassing. <laughs> Whereas. Whereas in 1990, 1991, 92, there were some embarrassing ones because I just didn't know how to, I just, if I didn't, if the idea, I just, because I would try everything. I would try everything and I, and I didn't have a sense of when something wasn't going to work until the comic was done and I just send it out. And I still maybe thought it, it kind of worked, but um, yeah, there are some, there are some swings and misses early. As you've evolved the style and as you, as you said become more political do you find that your research going into it or in terms of kind of news accumulation and going through everything is different because you're looking for that next angle that's going to be you know the next cartoon whereas maybe before if you're going more absurdist but you're more apolitical maybe it was just kind of you know trying to find inspiration for a variety of different places but now you're kind of looking at a more you know kind of uh, specific spectrum do you find that your preparation has changed oh yeah I mean I do I do I think, and I think part of that is not nothing to do with being a cartoonist. I think that when I in 1990, I did not was not interested in the news. I just was not a political person. Mm. I just was uh, I was more interested in uh, in other things, which things that I'm still interested in. But I just began to become more interested in politics as I and, and you know topical issues and and real world stuff uh, as I got older. So so yeah, I think that uh, that's. That's definitely, um, you know, I do, I don't want to call it research, but I do read, you know, the news um, uh, and keep up with it. I do find that I, I don't want to read too much. I don't, if, I find that if I, if I know about something much more than the average person, then I'm going to do a comic that they don't know what I'm talking about. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could end up, uh, you know, well, here's this issue. I, and, and I either, they don't know what I'm talking about, or I have to spend half the comic explaining what, what the issue is. 
Um, and you know, the bar for how good for how good an idea there has to be in order to spend half the comic talk, you know, explaining it, mm-hmm. there has to be a really great idea for it to for it to justify that. So, I find that if I know too much, uh, it's it's a not a good thing. I, I can go over the head of people because I've because I've tried to research something to, so that the comic will work. So knowing just a little, being just a little bit ahead of other people, uh, I think is the the best uh, sweet spot for me. But yeah, I should be doing doing topics that people are talking about. I think is uh, is always uh, best for me. But you know, sometimes I feel strongly about something, or I feel strongly about my idea that I'll you know I'll plow ahead with something that's a little more obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, as a specific comment on your March 4th cartoon, which was, I guess, the, the Tyrant Love, um, I really liked, and it was just, it felt like a very throwaway line, but I really enjoyed it, um, was the reference to the classic Shangri-La song, uh, Leader of the Pack, uh, which, yes. uh, that's why they called him <laughs> Leader of Pack, and I actually really laughed very hard, because I just did not expect to see that there, and it was just a very specific reference that you'd have to know the song and the cadence of it to really even get it, but I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I, you know, that's something that I I like to put in little bombs like that. Where if you don't get it, you just you'll just move you'll move on. It's that was, you, if you well if you look at it again, you'll see that it's not it's not highlighted. No. Um, and I think that's better for jokes anyway, for to sort of undersell them um, and to sort of put it, you know, tuck it away. And if, if people see it, uh, then they feel more of a reward for having, you know, looked there and, and seeing that and getting it. So uh, yeah, but that, you know that that comic also shows. The the comics influence on Tom the Dancing Bug. I, I do a lot of comics parodies, mm. um, and it comes from my, you know, that, that the one you're talking about, Tyrant Love, is a, a a parody of like an old school, I don't know, maybe 1960s um, romance magazine, oh, romance yes. comic book, uh, comic book of uh, you know with that. Uh, but it, but the love is between uh, Putin and the Republican Party uh, that they think he's the, that he thinks he's this uh, heartthrob. Um, but you know I do I do tons of uh, comics parodies and it comes from my love of comics that I've had since I was a kid. I've, nothing makes me happier is when I'm than when I'm sort of aping another style or using another comic style to make a to make a point. And I do that a lot with you know news comic strips like. Um, Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts recently mm-hmm. uh, was a, was a huge that what a thrill that was to do uh, to do a, a huge number of uh, Peanuts uh, parodies, um, but also you know comic books and superheroes. I have a I have a character named Godman who's an omnipotent omnipotent superhero, and uh, he started as a parody of Superman because he because Godman can do anything, which is just a little bit more than what Superman can do, um, and, uh, and so he's and so uh, it's it's sort of a, sort of as a, as a parody of Superman, and then it sort of morphed into like a, a statement about religion that I've just been sort of going on and on for for you know for years, uh, sort of meditating on religion through this uh, superhero character. So that was a really uh, cool surprise. But yeah, I love to do uh, comics uh, parodies. I would imagine it both. It's one of those things where I, I feel like it is both freeing and limiting. Where, like, if you have, like, if you're, you know, if you're Charles Schultz and doing peanuts, you you know what it's always going to look like. Generally, you know your cast, right. and so you're limited by your cast. But it's also predictable that you know if you're, if, you know, you get to speak through these characters. At least you know what it's going to look like. Whereas you have the freedom to kind of 
do what you want, and you have a lot of, as you said, kind of different recurring bits and characters you can use, but at the same time, no one's necessarily expecting you to use them every time, so it's, you know, it's both freeing and limiting at the same time, because... I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I sometimes I wish I wish I could just draw, like, I wish everyone just drew Garfield, and you just know that it has to be this, this, and this. There's the cat, and, mm-hmm. and that would be... But then that would be really hard to think of things that were, you know, that were original with that format. But yeah, but but you when you know I have a blank page every time it could be anything, uh, and I just you know I look down and it could be, uh, it is the the page is totally blank. Um, I can fall back on recurring characters, um, which which is helpful. I, I didn't really do that in the in the beginning of my career. I I, I looked down on that. I wanted something. Totally different uh, every time, uh, but that's just impossible. I've done, you know, over I've done almost sixteen hundred of these, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you have to you have to have some. But but yeah, it, you're you're right. That's that is uh, that is exactly it. It's it's both freeing and 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 scary. And I guess I mean when you spoke earlier about how you know you eventually kind of fell into the rhythm that weekly kind of worked for you more than daily. I guess that's part of the thing too, where if you had to do a completely new concept in theory every time with some recurring characters thrown in on a weekly basis, I feel like that would kill you slowly. Like if you look at a lot of the, the, the daily cartoons, they usually did have recurring casts and recurring ideas as opposed to being something more kind of abstract every time. Oh, you couldn't do that daily. Yeah. I don't, I don't have no idea if I could do a daily, uh, anyway. I mean, that's something that is so, um, so it sounds so hard to do to do that many uh, comics on on you know using a, a, a set cast, and by the same token, you know, on the other side of, of what I do, the a newspaper editorial cartoonist who has to do like three or five comics ca- cartoons a week for the newspaper, and they have to be on you know the current events. Uh, it, you, like if a story comes up and I don't want to do his comic on it, I'm not doing a comic on it. That's that's just uh, I, I don't have to. So, but I can't imagine what I would do if I had to do like you know editorial editorial cartoon where the editor expected a comic about um, you know a celebrity dying um, you know by five o'clock, um, and you know I, I can't imagine what I'd come up with, but it wouldn't be good. <laughs> Now, uh, tell me, how did you end up kind of linking up with uh, you know the company that's currently putting out your collections, which is Clover Press? How did that combination or connection or collaboration, however you want to refer to it, how did that come about? Oh, well, it was great. I guess it was uh, a few years ago. They approached me, uh, and they were interested in, in, in doing this, in doing a, uh, a, a series of – I guess they were interested in doing a series of books – uh, and uh, it was my idea. I said, let's, because because of what I like, I like these like complete sets. Um, I love the uh, the Fantagraphics, uh, Donald Duck, Carl Barks sets. I love oh, yeah. Mar- Marvel Masterworks. Um, you know, even this the stuff that you know my syndicate does. Uh, uh, Andrews McMeal, the complete Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, that's that's what I love to collect personally. So I thought, well. You know, what if we did that? What if we did the complete Tom Dancing Bug in multi volumes? And so, what we decided to do was start what we do with we'd, each volume would be four, four, four years of, of comics. Um, but we decided to work backwards, which is really confuses people. Um, because w- the book, the first book to come out, would come out right at the end, right in, would come out in 2020, was the plan. 
uh, I think we ended up at, tw- yeah, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it would be right after Trump left. And so I wanted to do those four years of Trump. That's That would be... If I have four years of Trump cartoons, or you know, whatever seventy five percent of the word with Trump, uh, then you know it should come out right away. Uh, so we did volume seven first, and we're working our way backwards. So the stuff that's more current um, is is coming out is coming out first. So volume six came out. Uh, well, due to supply chain issues, it was supposed to be November. It ended up being December, January. Mm. Um, and that one was uh, Tom the Dancing Bug Awakens. And so that collected 2012 to 2015. Um, and the next one is Eat the Poor. Um, about And it's sort of the theme is one of my characters is Lucky Ducky, the, the poor little duck who's rich, on, rich in luck. Um, <laughs> Because that's sort of the recession years, and that one will come out in May. So we're they're, they want to go on like a six month schedule uh, where we keep on you know keep on churning these out until we've got the complete Tom the Dancing Bug in. I guess at that point it'll be eight volumes. So that's like a dream come true, and they do a incredible job. They're, they uh, the, it's just the books they make are beautiful, um, and uh, they're great to work with. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm thrilled that this is this is happening. It's it's just great, and you know the, my readers are are also. I'm so gratified that you know these things are doing well and people are really lo- loving them. Is there something? I mean, so about when you have all these volumes coming out. Well, actually, first of all, before I actually talk about the actual volumes themselves, I'm curious about the uh, the Tom the Dancing Bug without the bad ones, um, which is. <laughs> Which is again like was that your idea to kind of be very tongue in cheek with the cover with the with the title there? Oh yeah, this was that's my idea. Sure. The, well, we just I did when we first began doing this. The main thing I uh, when the first one that came out in August twenty twenty one was um, Tom the Dancing Bug into the Trump first, and I thought it would be cool to do a sort of a companion volume because people have always said they want a, a book of just one of the formats that I use is called Super Fun Pack Comics. Mm-hmm. And it, it, make, it looks like a comics page, um, uh, but each with like six or seven uh, like daily comics, but they're weird and they're not even parodies. They're just like strange, uh, weird humor uh, uh, comics. And... Uh, so we, we made like a smaller book and it looks like – they did a great job of this too. They made it look like the way I wanted, like one of those old Peanuts books that you could buy on a spinner rack in a drugstore. Uh, and it looks like it's like a collection of, of comic strips uh, from that era. And uh, they did a great job with that. And so for the second one, we did Tom Dancing – I wanted to make a similar companion book, Tom Dancing Bug, without the bad ones. And it's about uh, – it's just – the, the best of my career, uh, like 144 of the best comics, the ones that you know people have told me are the best, the most talked about, um, the ones I'm proudest of. Whatever, however, I defined it, uh, uh, that was, uh, and that, and that's, I think that's doing really well. I think we're uh, we're selling out of that. Was that hard to kind of pick your children, like your favorite children, in order to come up with that kind of the the best of the best? It, it's it sort of was, but you know there there are certain ones. There was a bunch that that you just you know, uh, and you could especially tell later when you know in social media that just they just they just are different. They they just you 
put them out and they go viral. They're just there. And if, if anything, it makes me feel, it makes me feel bad for the other, like <laughs> the other ones. <laughs> when, when one goes viral and it's so obviously, uh, like, this is the one. This is great. It makes me feel bad for the other ones. Like, well, this could have happened with those, but it didn't. So they're not as good. Uh, and yeah, it makes me <laughs> makes me feel bad. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it wasn't that hard. I, and I, I put some some of the decisions I put up. It was sort of fun. I put up for a vote among my readers. Um, I have a subscription club, the Inner Hive, and I had them vote when I you know sort of narrowed it down. I want I need another one. Um, that's about um, you know one of my characters, Lewis. Do you think I should use this one or that one? Uh, and so that was sort of fun. But um, yeah, it was just really a fun process, and uh, and uh, it's it's good to get you know get to get all the best ones in there without the bad ones. So, so a very early one um, is uh, you know the one with the Impossible Squad, um, which is just <laughs> hilarious because again it's like all the same guy. Uh, they all look the same, very like talk, very much in the kind of old school Jack Kirby mold, uh, you know, yes. all cigar chomping. Um, what kind of led that kind of idea of, of you know this pastiche of that era of comic and having all these guys who all have the you know same ex- uh, specialty of explosives, except for what, the, except for the I guess the one right who is the entomology. One, one guy, yeah, that was that's that's the kind of stuff you know. I just I love that. It was just a weird idea. Like instead of a ragtag group with everyone has different specialties and different personalities they all have the exact same personality they're all a hard charging sergeant um there's an example in there that my uh, the the line i liked the best was you know i just at the top i describe all of them Mm -hmm. uh and i you know they're all like you know double-fisted hard charging you know and one of them i called him a, a double flusher and and i love that line but i made it so small it's the example of like you know i i just i hit it in there if you see it that's fine but that one i remember when i when i was drawing that i was giggling as i drew he's double flusher i don't know it just it just was weird and then and then one of them is the same personality but his his specialty is not explosives unlike the other like five his specialty is entomology uh, and so, you know, this, this sketch just, you know, that's the premise. And then, you know, it's like an SNL sketch. That's then you go, you go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, uh, see, that was a, and that one, when that one came out, it was, yeah, it was very popular. And uh, even, this is way before social media, but it was clear that's, that was the one that people liked. Uh, it really, it hit something. I like, uh, as you mentioned with the double flusher, it's not just that he was a double flusher. He was a gutsy double flusher. <laughs> oh, I don't think. I don't think I even ever even thought of that uh, pun. I, I never thought of that. I never made that connection. I just made a list of adjectives and nouns for for these for these guys. Uh, gutsy double flusher. That's that's great. You see, after all these years, I can still find can still find something in there in these ridiculous uh, stupid comics. Now, obviously, you know you're still you're still working on new strips. What would be the plan? Like again, eventually, would you be doing? Um, you know, concurrent with the new strips, you'll have new books as well to continue the complete collections. Or what would the plan be for those? Wow, what a great question! I'm so happy you asked because <laughs> this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing as a as a fan that I'm like interested in. Like, how are they going to map out the uh, you know the complete collection? So yeah, I have the map of how it's going to work, and I think it's that after these volume two, I'm going to do volume eight. And then volume one, because I won't be ready for uh, volume eight until 
until we're at that stage of the uh, of the program, assuming that we stick to the schedule, um, which I keep you know knocking on wood on. But uh, yeah, so will there will be a, a new one that will come out in the middle uh, of this of the program, right before we get to the uh, the end of it. Okay. Now, obviously, being a cartoonist is an interesting fraternity. Um, in your time kind of spent in the industry, uh, who, who were you most excited to get to meet um, you know, who works in the industry uh, that might have been idols of yours or just people whose work you really liked? Who are you most happy that you got to have connections with? Wow, yeah. Um, I think, you know, the person I've become closest to of my heroes when I was a kid uh, was Al Jaffe um, is who was someone who I just you know, I mentioned that I loved Mad Magazine mm. uh, and I met him at a party really early in my career and I you know I said oh, what a what a thrill it is to meet you and I said who I was and he said uh, oh I know your stuff which was which blew me away it was it was really early in my career and it was because of um, this newspaper called the Funny Times which he uh, subscribed to and was one of my very first clients and so but you know getting to know him he's was and, and hearing his stories and getting to know what a what a fantastic funny raconteur uh, was just just amazing and you know so meaningful to me because I just revered his stuff as a kid and you know I've also I guess the other person I mentioned was Gary Trudeau of Doonesbury is someone who I've uh, spent some time with and uh, and he's just 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 fantastic he is a, just a very uh, a charming um, uh, really really good guy I, I don't feel as though I've I've become friends with him but we're certainly uh, friendly acquaintances I've sat next next to him at you know at, at dinner and uh, you know it's so meaningful to me I'm like I'm like wow this is this is him and you know he's like and I get like the little brother syndrome uh, with him <laughs> and he's like the, the big brother and I and I, I can uh, fall all over myself but uh, yeah those those are two of the um, the big names that I met I just missed meeting uh Charles Schultz. He mm. he passed away right before a convention that he was going to be at, and I was going to be at the first one, the first National Cartoonist Society convention that uh, I was going to go to. So that was uh, that was a shame. But yeah, I um, I met his uh, his widow. Um, I sat down at, the, at a table at a brunch, and I had my my kids with me. I had a baby, um, and we sort of sat away from everyone. It was a huge uh, sort of ballroom. Um, and so I, we sat, my wife and I sat out of the way so that we could deal with our babies. And then uh, Jeannie Schultz, uh, looking for a seat, comes sits right next to me. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, so I said, you know, in between like dealing with the babies, I said, you know, what a, I expressed my condo- I wanted this a chance to express my condolences and say what a, what a, what, how much your husband's work meant to me. But um, yeah, I never was able to meet him. Mm. Now, you, you, as you mentioned, we kind of mentioned up top um, that you know you've been nominated for many awards and, and won a, a bunch as well. Is there a particular one that either nomination or win that means uh, like a, uh, has a special meaning to you, or means a little bit more for whatever reason, um, depending on obviously the which body would have conferred the award? Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, what's the last part? Depending on well, I, like I mean, may, which maybe one of them meant more to you because of you know which organization was the one who oh organization yeah. yeah um, well, no, I'm you know I, I'm so proud of all of them. The the, uh, the RFK uh, Journalism Award was, and and the uh, the Berryman Award was 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you know and, and of course National Cartoonist Society, which is you know the other cartoonists, which is so meaningful. But I think that the main one for me is um, uh, the Herblock Prize, 
was so great, and it was really because of the, they have this event for the winner, which is uh, just it's unlike anything else. It is it is a huge party with a, and before it, you give a speech to a packed auditorium, and the co-presenter with me, the person who was sort of like the the speaker before I got the award, uh, was uh, John Lewis. Oh, wow. um, and so, you know, I was, I, you know, I basically shared a stage with him. Uh, he spoke, then I spoke, and then we sat down and took questions from the audience. And every single question was for him. <laughs> <laughs> even though it was, even though we were there for my award, but I totally got it. And I wanted to ask him questions. Uh, and then, you know, to, to be with him at the party after. And also, it was such a big party that my whole family came. And at this, at this point, those babies were now... Uh, grown, and so you know, I had all three of my kids and my wife there to see this this moment, which was really uh, that, that was a, a very very special night for me. Hmm. Now, as as we let you get back to your your busy day, because uh, I'm sure you have you know uh, cartoons percolating in your mind. Um, <laughs> Are there, are there any other things that you, you kind of have like lined up or things that you're thinking about that, I mean, obviously this trip is the most important thing that, you know, that's the lifeblood of your career, but are there other things that you want to be working on as well that you're excited for? Or? Well, I think, yeah, the, the big thing, you know, the, it's the weekly deadline that keeps me, you know, focused on, on the comic strip. If I, if I think about other things, then suddenly this deadline's coming up and I get snapped back. Hmm. But um, right Actually, now... Can I, can I interject? I actually just realized yeah. I, have, I, have, I have a question that kind of jumps in right here. How do you sure. take vacations on a vacation on, on a strip like yours? Because a strip like yours, being as generally topical as it has been, especially the last yeah. couple of years, um, how do you, do you kind of have, you know, I'm going to, I don't want to call it inventory stories, but do you kind of bank the ones that are a little bit more atypical or apolitical so that when you do have vacations, you can kind of slot those in and then otherwise you'd be running something that'd be more topical? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I don't I don't bank any comics. Every comic is has, was done right before. So because uh, <laughs> uh, I find that when I bank a comic, when I have like one that's like in the hopper, for some reason that's the week I can't think of a comic, and every single time, and it's because I have a, a safety net mm. that I have to always use. So I I need I need the uh, the pressure <laughs> in order to think of the idea. If the pressure's off, then I got to use that thing. So. But to answer your question about uh, taking a vacation, yeah, I do. What I do is I, I'll, I'll do a, a super fun pack comic, which is eight, eight, just not uh, topical at all. They're just silly, and I still do those. I'm still, I still do other, you know, non-topical stuff. It's just more rare. So I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll before I go on a vacation, I'll just do two in a week, um, and you know, kill myself getting those two out, and then, and then go ahead. I guess, as you said, like there's something about that that nature of for some people that you know they need the pressure, they need the deadline. Like you know, I I work in a you know financial services industry and I work on financial plans for people, and I find that I do my best work when I have a deadline that I know that I have to deliver to the person at that time. I'm going to get the best work done. If I don't have that on there for some reason, there's just so many other things in my job I cannot get that focus. But once I have have the deadline, I have the pressure. I need I need the pressure to make diamonds, and if without the pressure, I can't do it. Well, that's it. And, and in the creative field, it's even—it's not even that you have other things to do. It's like, even if you can still focus on it, just nothing happens. I find that I need to lean into the deadline because if I start writing really early, 
I end up wasting a day with nothing happening, and then I still write the comic right at the end, right before the deadline, the way I would if I had waited till right before the deadline. Mm. So instead of wasting that day, uh, I now know myself, and it's it's not ideal. It's 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 probably unprofessional, uh, but this is the way I know myself that I need to write. So um, mm. so yeah, I need that I need that pressure. So. Um, Oh, to go back to yeah, I, I spending a lot of time on the on the books um, is the other project, mm. and I've also written um, books for kids, and so I've written two books for for kids, um, which is really fun. It was a you know writing long narrative and for kids and a different style of humor for a totally different audience was great, and uh, so um, I'm writing another one now. So uh, those are that's that's uh, that's the other project I've got going on. When you are working on your projects, do you find like creative types are always interesting because obviously you have different types of schedules that you can kind of pattern yourself around. Do you find you're more of a, you know, you'll, you'll kind of adhere to your typical nine to five schedule because some people actually force themselves to do that. Are you more of kind of a nighttime creative? What, what is your kind of your best time of channeling your creative energy? Yeah, I used to, I used to only write in the mornings. Um, if it was like afternoon, then I knew I could not write. This was years ago. But now I, I write at any time. And I used to be able to draw all night. Um, I used to have, for many, for most of my career, I've had a day job. And I used to literally draw all night, one night a week. Um, and I can't do that anymore. Now I, uh, at, at 10 o'clock, I turn the light off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't even like to go that late, but it, uh, no matter what, I just turn it off. It, my, my wrist just does it. Uh, so, um, yeah, I know that I can't, I can't work late at night anymore. And, but the good thing is I can write, um, at any time. Um, I can sit down and, you know, especially when the deadline's on, I can, I can stare at that page long enough to, uh, to come up with something that can, that's not embarrassing. When you, when you are coming up with your ideas, do you find, like, are you sketching out, like, a format, like, a, you know, because, as you said, you have various different types of uh, formats on the page and panel layouts, etc., which, again, would be both freeing and limiting because you can kind of go in any direction. Do you find you're kind of sketching it out as you're kind of percolating some of the ideas in terms of visuals, or does it kind of come from a script first and then you figure out how the visuals work up, you know, work with it? Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. I, I think of like, for example, in that the one that you mentioned, uh, Tyrant Love. The first thing I thought of, you know, after spending hours thinking of nothing, uh, was you know this idea of a of a romance comic. Um, and so then from there, that that's like the first thing. I don't, I have nothing written. Then I began like writing ideas. You know, maybe oh, he's on a motorcycle and they love him, and then oh, leader of leader of the CPAC. Uh, and then I think, oh, I'd love to do a cover, one of those covers. So then I think, well, how how will I fit that into my format? And then I begin drawing. You know, I would have to draw the panels around it. Um, and so yeah, so it sort of evolves as I as I go. But the first thing is sort of that getting that that toehold in. Like, okay, what I'm going to do is. A romance comic where the Putin is a heartthrob and the and the Republicans are like are like the kids at in a high school who 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 love him and so that's the toehold and then I begin to then I begin to work around that because now I know what it's going to look like I, I get an, I have an idea of the tone of it uh, and I begin writing filling in comics and uh, writing in jokes and um, you know sort of format. Mm-hmm. I did love, first of all, in that kind of faux cover that you did have uh, Putin uh, shirtless because that, that did feel very appropriate. Um, <laughs> yes. 
and then also the the last panel of of the strip, um, which felt very, as you said, kind of fifties romance comics with the you know, oh Vlad, they just don't understand you like I do, and even just the tears um, on on Trump's face was just so funny. Well, yeah, I've got I've got a uh, a book. Uh, called uh, Marvel Romance, a trade paperback mm-hmm. of Marvel Romance comics from probably the 50s through the 70s. And so, you know, I, I knew how to draw those tears. Uh, you know, I, again, this comes from a love of comics. I, so I, I love to like do a parody and I can draw tears the way, you know, John Romita drew uh, te- not, not as well, <laughs> much, much worse, but, you know, evoking the way that uh, John Romita drew uh, tears and in his, uh, you know, heroine's eyes. Uh, and that and that, you know, that makes it fun for me. And I, I really it's almost um it's it's hard to explain, but when I'm having fun drawing, it, it shines through. When when there's a comic I don't like the drawings of, it's it's going to be like two guys in suits talking, uh, and I don't like it. It's it's it can ruin a good idea because I because I, I will I don't have the the fun or the spark when I'm drawing it. Mm. Makes sense. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, again, your strips are very funny and uh, very enjoyable. So, uh, do you have in your mind a, a time when you would ever stop? I I uh, I don't. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe I should have already. That's uh, I I remember uh, in my uh, early thirties saying, "Well, I won't be doing this when I'm forty, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm well past that." So. Uh, I I really don't. I'll I'll stop when uh, when I don't like it or when other people don't like it. Um, uh, one one or the other. <laughs> I guess it's interesting yep, yep. too, as you said. Like as you became more political, you had something to say. So as long as you still have something to say, there'd be no reason to stop. Like it's you're in an interesting spot because as you, as we kind of talked about before, if you were you know Charles Schultz doing peanuts. You know, at some point, you just maybe you just run out of stories, or just you're done with telling stories with those characters. But you have, right. you know, constantly churning characters and in, in storylines and plot ideas because by being more, you know, political, it's constantly giving you new content that you can kind of riff off and play with. So in theory, there's no need to, ch- you know, kind of stop in the same way unless you just kind well, of are done with doing it. Well, that's true, but I think yeah, I think that Charles Schultz didn't he didn't stop because he ran out of things no, to didn't. write about. I think he would have, you know, if he was immortal, he would have just kept going. I think it was he stopped because it was it was time for him health wise uh, to stop. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's even, you know, running out of things to 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 say is something that would have um, occurred to him. And it kind of doesn't occur to me. I mean, I, I would I would keep on doing political stuff if I, I I think about stopping doing political stuff and going back to the you know doing more of the general humor stuff. I, I as long as I have you know fun doing it and um, yeah, I, I, I'll, and people enjoy it. I'll, I want to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned before that I'd spoken to Lynn Johnston of for better or for worse fame, and she's kind of said that she kind of met a point where because she had always aged up her characters, they were aged in real time that they're just became a time when you know it was just kind of it was just it wasn't the same strip anymore because what started as you know a family with children those children now had their own families and so right, by, right. you know she was on because of the format that she had been using to great effect for so many years it kind of meant that you know it was it was it was changing the strip in a way that she was kind of like oh, all right maybe it's time to be done with that because it's so different from where she started so right, uh, right. It's, it's interesting 
it's always interesting to me why and how people decide to kind of wrap up long running strips and how that you know because it's not an easy decision and it's very interesting because it's very different than most forms of entertainment. It is, and and Schultz is you know one of the last of the you know he, he well he was unique actually you know because he he kept going and he kept and he and he did not you know stop by having assistants take over for it you know mm-hmm. the way you know a lot of the old time cartoonists did and a lot of the newer ones just stopped because they got they burned out I don't think they maybe I don't know whether they felt as though they uh, ran out of things to say someone like you know Bill Watterson or or Gary Larson um, or or whether they just couldn't take the lifestyle anymore which was is mm. at that level drawing making such a great comic but making it every day uh it must take an incredible toll on you um so yeah this it is it is it's interesting i don't know um you know i i don't i don't feel burned out by it i feel uh invigorated by it um this series of of books um, you know, and looking and reviewing my career, and and you know, being honored that you know Clover Press and readers want to do that is, uh, if anything, has you know really um, inspired me even more. It's I would imagine also very you know when you when you're doing a strip like you have, there's something very ethereal in nature with a strip, like it's over and it's gone and it's done, and there's something more permanent. But you know, now you have a book, you have these collections of your work that you, know, you can proudly put in your shelf and like this this is this was my life this is what I did um, and, and again whereas you know when they're just the original strips it's it's a little bit more ethereal I guess is my point there I, it, that's just totally true and I never would have guessed that this would be you know would be happening especially when I started I didn't even really keep track of the comics I, I had you know now I have to go back and like reconstruct like you know which comics were published when I, I wasn't I just was doing a comic and then do the next one mm-hmm. uh, so there was no uh, there was no thought of like history or posterity <laughs> I have to now reconstruct that um, there are ways to do it uh, and I and I and I actually have already done that but uh, yeah it's it is it's amazing and uh, you know it's the kind of thing that I love uh Collecting, you know, the stuff of my heroes, um, and so you know, I'm so proud that that people want to, you know, collect uh, Tom the Dancing Bug in the same way. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with us about your career in these books, and obviously, people can uh, look forward to getting more volumes from Clover Press. Thank you very much. It was that was really fun. I really appreciate it.